You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh. I'm back in the host's chair again for a second week. And joining me, as always, is Jake Michaels from ESPN. Hello, Jake. Matthew, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Neil Seawang, welcome along. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. I'm glad that you're here as well. And our very special guest, as we will have in every week, from Champion Data, it's Christian Jolly. Welcome to week two. Thanks for having me back. Well... AFL is back, and it's fair to say there are plenty of talking points coming out of the week. Gentlemen, where do we want to start? Where do we start? It was one of the most amazing rounds that I can remember in terms of upsets and storylines. Um, it was great to have it back, but geez, I'm, I'm questioning my football knowledge after my, my tipping and, and what I thought was going to happen leading in. All, all nine games from the round surprised me. Every single game had a surprise, either margin or quarter or something that just, just yeah wasn't expecting. It was just a perfect round one. Just nothing. Everything that you expected just didn't happen. It was just completely. It was just impossible to pick. How many tips did you get right, Jake, this week? I got four. I got five, which I think wasn't bad. Three for me. (laughs) Shocker. Christian, did you tip at all? I don't tip, so I'll say say nine. We're gonna have to get you onto uh, ESPN Footy (laughs) Tips to make sure that we're doing that. But uh, look, there were there were some shock results. I mean, I think the bombers for me were were one. North was another. I mean, how they performed. Frio in the same game. The the storylines are endless. But uh, I think we can pretty comfortably say it's just nice to have the AFL back, really. I don't think there was a team that actually performed as we kind of expected they would perform. Yeah, that's right. Um, even in uh, the first uh, the first game of the round, it was really really interesting to see Richmond struggle for a long time and, and Carlton really take it up to them. And then there's obviously the Alex Rant situation as well, which throws their whole premiership chase um, you know, into a, a little bit of a question mark now. now. We'll touch on that a bit later. But I think it's time to get stuck into our first segment, which is three on three. It's time for three on three. So, uh, after a few shock results in round one, uh, which team is under the most pressure heading into round two? Neil, I might throw this one over to you. Yeah, there's a few options here. Um, One of the interesting stats from the weekend is the fact that since 2010, 49 teams have gone 0-2 to start the season, and only three have played finals. Collingwood last year and the Swans in 14-17, so... Already, it's must-win for some of these so-called premiership fancies like Collingwood, um, who looked pretty poor. Melbourne were, were shocking against Port. West Coast were, were flogged against a, a rising team in Brisbane. So, for me, a huge amount of pressure on, on Melbourne. The way they lost was really um, disappointing. I was there at the MCG, um, and it really solidified my concern. If the Demons don't dominate contested possession, they get, they get beaten up on the outside. Um, so, they're playing Geelong in Geelong this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating contest to see if the Demons can respond. Well, the, you mentioned those teams, but all three of those teams that lost, uh, Collingwood, West Coast and Melbourne, have really tough round two games. And they're a real chance of going to 0-2. I mean, Absolutely. West Coast hosts GWS. Uh, you say that the Ds go down to Geelong. And uh, who was the other one? Collingwood, Collingwood face Richmond, Richmond yeah. on Thursday night. So they're, they're really, I mean, all three could be 0-2. And, and that, that would be a huge shock. But um, look, we'll see how they go, Jake. I think Melbourne's under the most pressure. I, if you go, you, you look at the way they went out last year, Melbourne to to West Coast in the preliminary final. They were they were horrific that day. Um, they should really have come out and made a statement in round one. They're one of the premiership favourites, playing Port Adelaide, a team that made twelve changes to go into that side from their round twenty three match last year, playing at home at the MCG. Um, they were really poor. They, I think they kicked three of the first four goals, had a nice nice lead, nice start, should have just flowed it from there, and it just flipped. Port Adelaide managed to figure them out. They hunted the ball and Melbourne were just beaten on the outside. It was such a such a poor performance from it them. Was. We touched on Essendon before, but that was 
probably the worst performance of the round. I mean, there was some pretty damning vision that came out of it from a few of the Bombers players. Zach Merritt was one who just uh, approached a contest. It look, looked like he was still in JLT1. Barely just, noticed he was even playing, to be honest. Well, there were a few Bombers that did that. And then after the game, you've got David Zaharakis having a laugh with some of the, the GWS players. Uh, for all the build-up about... Uh, Shield going back and for the comments that Devin Smith made about it being the graveyard and how it's not going to be a blockbuster first round for Shield, look, it was probably the worst possible start the Bombers could have had and, and rightly so, a lot of their fans are, are fuming. Christian, who do you reckon is under the most pressure? Yeah, I sort of agree with Matt. I think Essendon, from that from that performance on the weekend, luckily for them, sort of, they're going in to face St Kilda at uh, Marvel Stadium on Saturday. So a chance to bounce back and turn it around. But I, I, again, I think with all the expectation at the start of the year, that was a disappointing performance. It's, just, ama- it's amazing how it can be round two and there's already must-win must games. Just quickly, before we do move on, were we surprised by Frio's demolition of North? I was. A little bit? Su- surprised, but not hugely surprised I think so, someone made the point earlier that um, if you looked at their team on paper it's it's not that it's, bad it's not that bad and North I mean North we touched on the issues that North were going to have faced this year uh, and I think they were and that well, was exactly Frio exploited right. them beautifully Absolutely. and then last one before we also move on <laughs> I'll say that again uh, is are we surprised by the Lions over West Coast no. so much not so much, but the 70-point turnaround within the game surprised me. Just getting the four points at the Gabba, probably half expected, yep. but just that turnaround. Well, we did pick, uh, I think Jake and I, we both did pick uh, Brisbane as our outside chance last week. You got a bit so of a smile on your face there. <laughs> Toot our own horns there. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to the uh, second topic of debates. It's going to be a tough one because Marble Stadium and SCG, you can't replace these stadiums, but they've had turf issues. We can't take games away because where else are you going to play them? But is it a real problem or is it overblown, Neil? It's not a good look, and it's not a good look now that the AFL owns Marble Stadium. That the the stadium's obviously had issues since its um, inception. It was only one section of the ground, wasn't it, Matt? It was uh, just in front of the interchange gates. Yeah, near the Medallion Club on the uh, broadcast side of the wing. But even even then, it wasn't the whole wing. No, it was but, a section of the wing. But that's still not good enough. That's still not good enough. Well, uh, so I I know a little bit about this because I did a feature piece on uh, the the guys who run the turf at Marble Stadium, and I can tell you now. It's a thankless job. It's a tough job. And the stadium hosts more than 70 uh, events every year. And that that's footy. More than any stadium in the world, right? More than uh, at least the Southern Hemisphere. I'd have to f- fact check myself on that one. But at least in the Southern Hemisphere. And it's not just footy. It's not cricket. It's soccer. It's concerts where they bring heavy machinery onto the, the ground. They lay plastic all over the place. There are sets. The whole lot. I think now that the AFL does own it, Neil, you touched on this, is that they need to start prioritising footy. They need to sort of say, all right, three months out from the footy season, we need to focus on making the turf as good as it possibly can be. Because they can. The only issue is that they have to keep replacing the turf because there are issues. And when they have issues, they have to keep replacing the turf. And then there are more issues. And it's just an endless cycle. So basically, the point is, don't have as many events on on the ground. And the AFL kind of needs to look at, well, sure, they're going to lose money, but it's going to be a safer place a better to play. Product. A better product. It's going to look better on TV. I think the fact that it was round one sort of highlighted and, and this has created such a discussion. If this was round 12 that it happens, I don't think we'd talk about it as much as it's mm-hmm. round one. But equally, on the other on the other side of that is, it is round one. It should have been ready. There's there's time for it to be ready. And and I don't think having, an, having a number of events is an excuse for it to not be ready. But they've got to look at that now and think, well, we've got to scale back. If we can't... The primary... The primary sporting event or event if you like is the AFL season that they have 
And they've got to make sure they're ready for that. Well, and the SCG is the other one. The SCG looked pretty pretty ordinary um, in the lead up to the season. Uh, they had um, the SCGs hosted uh, two Super Rugby and, and one NRL game uh, in the last fortnight, and they've got their season opener uh, for the Swans this weekend. So they've got a few days to get it right. It didn't it didn't look good from a viewer's pers- pers- perspective. So they're also replacing turf up there. Yeah, but. It's a quick fix. It looks good on, on telly when it's nice, green, fresh turf, but uh, it takes time to sow. And this is the issue I have with, with Marvel Stadium as well. It'll be the same at the SCG. Is by the time they lay the turf, it, ha- it needs time to sort of take into the ground. And if you do it a week out, it's just not going to cut it. So You're not thinking about a career change to a landscape gardener or something, Matt? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just uh, very passionate. I'm surprised <laughs> they haven't tried to recruit you down at Marvel. Uh, if anyone from Marvel is listening, maybe I can be pride. Who knows? <laughs> All right. <laughs> third topic uh, for three on three. Uh, look, it was a low-scoring round. There's no beating around the bush, a bit of inaccuracy. And this is despite the rule changes that were brought in to make the game more appealing. Is this what the AFL had in mind, Christian? Um, so just going back to your point on the... It was a low-scoring round, so 78.7 uh, 78. points score per game. We're up at 83.5 last season, and we all remember last season being a very low-scoring season. And it was at 88.8 in round one last year. But one of the other facts you've got to take, take into account is there was actually more scoring shots or shots at goal per game than there was last year. So 26.1 shots at goal per game in round one this year compared to 25.3 last year. So it was really the accuracy that really just impacted the scoreboard uh, the most. Um, again, sort of going back to the two rules, we already sort of focused on it from JLT. Kick-ins, getting harder to score from, getting harder to actually punish a turnover from a kick-in as well. So it's making it harder for both teams to score from a kick-in. But the centre bounces is clearly working. Centre bounces looked a lot better, a lot more scoring coming from centre bounces. Even the uh, St Kilda Gold Coast game, something like 60% or so of the score, uh, so 56, sorry, of their 169 points came from centre bounces between the two teams. So it was just sort of kick a goal, go back to the centre and yes, yeah, start again. That, that part of the game looks good. Good um, optics for the AFL. Yeah. Well, that's what they're after. But I, I guess what, Jake, can we just put it down to poor skills, the inaccuracy in front of goal? I mean, the well, rules are working in that case. Well, I think it's clear. I mean, I'll, I'll touch on that a bit later, but I think it's clear when you when you hear that. They're pretty damning stats. I mean, you can, you know, all the shots we had, and so that includes shots that don't even hit Yeah, the so that's goals behind the missed shots, yes. Yeah, so it, it, was, it was a scrappy round. It wasn't a clean round. Let's just, let's just say that. It's a small sample size, but, you know, the, hearing all the greats of the game bemoan the, the lack of forward's ability to hit, um, hit the scoreboard and actually kick straight... Everyone talks about it's the only skill that hasn't improved over time, but it seems like it's that's true. And not only has it not improved over time, it's getting it worse. It feels like it's getting worse. So set shot accuracy was actually at forty nine point five percent for the weekend. It's first time, so we haven't had a season below fifty percent before. So to drop below the fifty percent shot, that's having a set shot, no pressure on you. That's uh, really bad. I yeah. mean, and where, tell me where there was a game with poor conditions. There were none. There, there was wonderful mm. conditions all across the board. So that that is damning. Yeah. Well, Interesting. We'll see. We'll not see surprising, but uh, well, when you watch the round, it's not surprising. But yeah, very, uh, very damning. Before we move on to our next segment, uh, we were at Captain's Day a couple of weeks ago at the MCG and polled a few of the captains. Well, I mean, in uh, Max Gorn's case, he wasn't the captain, but uh, we we polled Rory Sloan, Jack Zebel, and Max Gorn about who they think the biggest risers will be this year. I reckon Brisbane will be quite good this year. Yeah, they got a great list, uh, really young list, and exciting heap of talent too. Um, I'd say North Melbourne, um, but outside of us, um, I think a team like Brisbane who have done well in the off-season, recruited well, um, and look like they're, they're getting uh, some great improvement from a few of their younger players. Uh, I like the interstate teams this year. I like Brisbane and I like Fremantle. I think Fremantle have done some really good 
changes to their list and brought in my mate Jesse Hogan and Rory Lobb and um, some good guys there in their mids will get another year into them. In Brisbane, we played them in the JLT and look, to be honest, they improved last year and they were a side that were hard to beat last year. So I see a lot of where we were two years ago and where Brisbane are and um, I think they'll be really competitive and potentially make finals as well. Max Gorn was right on the money there, saying that Frio and Brisbane will be their risers and judging from round one, that's pretty spot on, Jake. He's a smart man. Yeah, Brisbane, they looked they looked really sharp. Um, as you said, we picked them earlier, but Frio, yeah, they could be they could be tough to beat over there. Interesting. A Ross Lyon team hasn't looked so good. It hasn't looked that good since... They haven't. Maybe maybe an overhaul of rules four. could be exactly what the doctor ordered for Frio and Ross Isn't it Lyon? amazing how quickly things can change? I mean, I think most of us in this room were pretty hot on Essendon and uh, Adelaide to be big risers this year, and their round one performances were so poor. You know, I'm, I'm not going to... I'm a little bit concerned about the Bombers, but I'm, I'm going to stick with Adelaide to rise pretty high this year. Yeah, I but agree. It's, I, I, it's, it wasn't a good start for them. The, the, the Crows, I think, you just got to look at the Alistair Clarkson factor. I think he, he's one, the, Don Pike is one and seven against Clarkson uh, since he started coaching. So, Strike play. one for Adelaide for me. If they, if they botch <laughs> You're it giving again, him three chances. I reckon I might even give him two. <laughs> and then I'll write them off. But yeah, they've, they've certainly got to improve. Okay, uh, let's move on to our next segment. How about stat with Champion Data? Yes, the best stats from the weekend. We're going to ask Christian Jolly from Champion Data what he thinks, or what he's made rather, of uh, round one action. So where are we going to kick it off this week? Um, so I looked at, uh, from round one, there was three stats that every single team won uh, and ended up winning the game. So the first one's the obvious one. Most important stat in football, what is it? It's points on the scoreboard. So every team had more points that won. The other two stats, post-clearance ground <laughs> ball game. That's unbelievable. That's, that's John well, Madden-like. That is probably the one of the most common questions we get at Champion Data. What is the most important stat in footy? And it is <laughs> a pretty obvious answer on the scoreboard. About it. Well, it goes back to the, the goal kicking. Shut it down. This segment's over. <laughs> uh, so two of the other stats that had 100% sort of win success rate was ground ball gets post-clearance and contested possessions post-clearance. So post-clearance being in general play away from stoppages, so on the spread. So if you're first to the ball, basically, you you. Getting the, the footy first, Correct. getting inside 50. All nine of those teams goals. won on and the And who weekend. was the best team at that? Uh, so it was actually Brisbane, but I want to sort of talk on the flip side of that. So it was West Coast, obviously, who were the worst team at that, negative 39 for the weekend. Yeah. They were also the worst team in this stat last year. Interesting. So when we looked at them in about round 20, 21 last year, we couldn't understand, or we couldn't see them winning the premiership, let alone getting to the grand final because on those of that sort of stat. numbers. Because of that stat. It is, it is one of those stats where it, it correlates very highly with the top eight. The top eight teams in that stat usually finish in the top eight at the end of the year. So what you're saying is that they force other teams to play their style of footy, which is kick mark. Yeah, kick they love the kick mark, ham, yep. uh, sort of kick mark game, which they did very, very well in the home and away season, did it better than anyone else. We actually saw in finals, they did flip it up a bit. The ground ball improved out of sight for them, and that's how they won game in the finals. So they did sort of uh, shove it in our face by the end of the year and won the premiership, <laughs> obviously. But uh, as we said, when looking at the finals, clearly their ground ball gets improved in that time. So sort of just highlighting again from round one, negative 39. It is the issue that West Coast are going to have in, uh, I would have thought, most games this year. If you're sort of wondering why you know West Coast are behind on the scoreboard, that would be my suggestion of the first stat to look at because it's usually one of those stats that they sort of correlate with their you know how, how well they're going to go um sort of similar to that is uh looking at the inside 50 count so looking at sydney they lost the count by 21 to the bulldogs at lovely marvel stadium on saturday night um and they're now ranked 16th since the start of the last season in inside 50 differential with only two teams worse than them, carlton and gold coast so again sydney just going to struggle if the ball's continually being played in the opposition's half it's going to make it harder it's for really sydney, disappointing obviously. for sydney isn't it 
It's always we, been. We, we look at Sydney as a top eight side. Well, perennial. a lot of people do, yeah. and they're down with down at the bottom with Gold Coast and Carlton. Yeah. It's always been a, a problem with Sydney, but as I said, probably since midway through last year, it's really sort of been highlighted, and now ex- exactly sitting with the likes of Carlton and Gold Coast in that stat is is definitely not where they want to be. Um, any other stats catch your eye? Yeah, so a um, couple of. Uh, I'll start with another team on support Adelaide. Um, we were talking before about how they sort of uh, opened up Melbourne and sort of beat them on the outside. It was there, so they've played 44 games at the MCG since 99 when Champion Data started covering stats. And it was their best uncontested possession differential and disposal differential they've ever recorded at the MCG. So basically got into a stage of keeping off from Melbourne. Uh, they also generated 15 scores from the back half, so only Richmond beat them for the round. So it was that quick ball movement. They were high for marks. They were high for handballs. They just... You know, they just played keepings off and just really controlled the ball. No wonder Ken Hinkley was so happy after the game. It's a it's a huge weakness for Melbourne that that spread on the outside and and kudos to to Hinkley and, and the Port Adelaide team for correct being they, able to see that they would have recognised that. So on. Melbourne, looking at their contested possession count since the start of last year, if they win the count by ten or more, so that's the contested possessions, they're fourteen and two. If they lose the if they win the count by fewer than ten or lose the count, they've been two and eight in that time. So contested possessions clearly what Melbourne are focusing on. Again, what, what Port Adelaide showed. If you can sort of match it with them there and then beat them on the outside, that's the way to get Melbourne. Any individual highlights from the round? Yeah. So um, at Adelaide, sort of looked at uh, in 2017. Obviously, they had one of the best interceptors in the game in Jake Lever. He leaves and goes to Melbourne. Tom Duday steps up last year and becomes I think he was fifth for intercepts uh, by the end of the season. He's unfortunately done his ACL early in the game, but uh, another player stood up that I think will slot nicely in Adelaide's backline. That's Alex Keith, the ex-Star Big Bash cricketer. Finished with a round-high six intercept marks, 13 intercept possessions, and he just looks like a ready-made replacement for Tom Dodie. They can, uh, well, they raise him well out in Adelaide, clearly. They do. Um, any, anything else before we move on? I uh, just want to also give some love to Stephen Coniglio. I think everyone's starting to rate him and sort of really notice him. Uh, sort of look, again, going back since the start of last year, him and Clayton Oliver, the only two players in the competition to rank in the top 40 for disposals, clearances, tackles, score assists, ground ball gets, and metres gained. So it's almost all facets of the game, scoreboard, getting the ball, moving the ball. Him and Oliver are the only two in the top 40. So I think it's, yeah, Stephen Coniglio, I think by the end of the year, everyone will have to start having him in the sort of top five midfielders conversation. And certainly all the list managers from rival clubs will be looking at him as a free agent too. So mm, watch this space, get, the check, get the checkbooks out. Alrighty, it's time for my favourite segment. I've had a gutful. Jake, it's that time of the week again where we throw to you uh, and you can let us know what has irked you this week. Um, what what is it exactly that you've had a gutful of after watching round one? Well, let me just start by saying it's great football's back. I think we touched on that at the top. I mean, but <laughs> there's always going to be a but. There's always going to be a but. Look, it was it was it was great to have it back. It's been six long months. Um, you know, summer cricket only does it. Cricket only gets you halfway there. But uh, yeah, it's good to have it back. Look. The, the, the one thing that I really noticed from round one was just how much of an awful spectacle it was. And I don't want to be a real downer here, but it was shocking. There were some really poor performances here. Woeful skills, constant fumbling. I don't think I've ever seen so many drop marks in a round of football. So I've actually looked that up for you, Jake. So we obviously spoke Friday night at halftime in the Collingwood Geelong game and noticed a fair few errors. So I've had a quick look at drop marks just to put them in context. There was 94 drop marks on the weekend. So that's uncontested marks that have been dropped. Uh, round one last year was at 66. 
But at round 23 last year, it was down to 46. So we've almost seen 50 more than we saw and more the than last double. full round of football. Because people just dropping mark. And like we touched on before, conditions across the board were perfect. And this dry. isn't this isn't a contested mark that someone goes up and gets hands to it and drops it. This is just uncontested 15, 20 metre short chips around the ground getting dropped. This is just not on. These skills, were just, they're just not up to scratch. So does this point to, to your argument from last week, Jake, that you think the players actually need a, a longer pre-season as opposed to a shorter one? I think it's a given. I think the AFL really needs to extend the preseason. I don't think two games is enough to get players right and ready to go for round one. I think we need to have at least three games. And, and not only that, I mean, you know, they'll say that clubs play sort of intra, intra games, you know, sort intra of club. club, yeah, within club walls. But we don't know what goes on here. They're trialing new rules. We, we need to have games that are full intensity so players are getting match fit and getting up to speed with... You know the with their skills. With their skills. So, would you have an incentive in place to make? I think we have to, and this is something else that we've kind of touched on here and there. But there's got to be something in order to get teams and players performing at their best and trying as hard as they can. Yeah. And the question is, what do you do? How about a draft pick at the end of the first round? The winner of preseason gets a draft pick at the end of the first round. That's something I don't mind. It's not a huge prize, but that's a a big, big. Prize. That's it's a, a it's, huge that's priority pick. I would, I would. Well, with this, the introduction of this. I'm pre- not saying you get the number mid-season, one pick. mid-season draft. Maybe the first pick the, in the mid-season. The, draft. Mid, the mid-season. Well, draft. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. I'm not saying I'm not married. Just to make the it idea. count for something. Make it count it's for something. something. And you're not like you know, it's not like you're getting a top twenty player, young player in the country. You're getting the best in the state leagues or the you know the, the best undrafted. Yeah, the best talent. undrafted talent. Maybe it's still something though. It's still something, and it's something that a lot of teams would take pretty serious. I mean, you look after the weekend, three ACLs. There are three teams mm. that suddenly go, well, hold on, we need someone to fill fill the stocks. Yeah. So if you do this, I guarantee you'll start seeing players putting in more effort. You'll see clubs going to greater lengths to get players cherry ripe for round one. And then when you when the season proper starts, you've got players that are hitting the ground ready to go. And it's not going to be any of this... You know, if if you support a team that's down the bottom of the ladder, I think you're kind of happy when you when you're coming up against a team that's at the top because you got you know that you've got a chance of beating them. But all the top sides, their supporters want a longer preseason. They want their players ready to go. Plenty to think about, Jake. And I like that rant. Uh, we've started pretty well with this segment over the first two weeks. It's one of I our think. favourites. So let's uh, let's move on. It's time for three votes. And the three votes goes to. Uh, so I'm going to give you three words for three votes. Refreshing player interviews. There are a couple throughout the weekend. Alex Rance and Jack Watts in particular. Um, basically, no credit to the boys. No, we'll take it one week at a time. Just brutally honest discussions with who they were in post-match interviews with. In fact, let's listen to Jack Watts now. I can sense the relief on you, mate. Yeah, it is. It's just pure relief. I, you know, I had weeks where I didn't want to get out of bed, mate. and Probably never, ever experienced anything like that. I'll, I'll cop more shit from... People saying that I'm no good at footy for a thousand years compared to what I've been through the last few months. So, <laughs> take your time, mate. Take your time. Just some of the best audio or and vision, actually. Thanks to Fox Footy for that as well. Uh, that that I've seen. I mean, he was he was honest about his situation. Clearly, had one of the worst off seasons you could possibly imagine. And to come out and play the performance he did firstly, but then also front up and, and, and say how he struggled to get out of bed, I thought it was incredibly refreshing. And Rance as well, when, when he'd just done an ACL, he knew he'd done an ACL, to come out and sort of give credit to 
the the structures around him and say that he'll be right, the team's right, you know, he's got other interests outside of footy, I, I think it was excellent. There's a lot to be said um, about players who can speak on honestly and aren't overly media trained. Uh, obviously, the the more intelligent players can speak honestly without wondering what they're going to be saying and be fearful of making a mistake. But Watson Rance in particular were, were really good in getting their point across openly and honestly, and it was really refreshing. It's an interesting point you make because um, I was at the draft last year and just talking to some of the kids that, that get they got picked up, and it's like, they're not media trained yet, and they just really speak from the heart and they true emotion and, and what they're thinking, and it's none of this team orientated stuff. You no, know, I've noticed the same thing just watching the AFLW, obviously covering that, and when some of the girls, you know, end up on some of the Fox shows or be, being interviewed post match, just that pure enjoyment, the the ability to speak without having to double guess yourself with what they're saying, you see that with the women as well. Coming and that's what the people AFLW. want. People want fewer robots. That. Yeah. Why, so, why do we want the same stuff churned out every week? I mean, so a note to media managers from Clubland. Back your players, trust them to speak. You don't need a job. <laughs> <laughs> that might be going a little bit too far. No, but but it, it is good to have... You want to have a little bit of personality and you want to see you know, true, raw emotion. Yep. And it helps them connect to their, to their supporters. Thought I it was brilliant. most of us are hoping that Jack Higgins doesn't go through too much media training. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Keep that raw. Thank you, Tigers. All right, of course, we're here for footytips.com.au where you and all your mates can join and tip and... Uh, we had one. <laughs> this is amazing. Mm. Speaking of stats, Christian, we're going to out- outdo you here. We had one perfect round tipped in round one of the AFL, and that is out of six hundred twenty-five thousand three hundred and fourteen. Should we tippers. give him a shout out? We should give him a shout out. Would you like to do the honesty? Yeah, yeah, sure. That was Brenton from Adelaide who got tip nine and got a perfect margin as well in the in the Friday night game. And, well uh, done, Brenton. We that can't is we can't go through. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? We can't go through all seventy-one of those who tipped nine out of nine, but that's just zero point zero zero. Zero one one percent of all tippers. So a shout out to you as a collective as well. And looking ahead to to this round, um, punters for those who have already put their tips in, punters are expecting Collingwood, Melbourne, and Adelaide to all be zero and two after two rounds, which we've touched on earlier. That that's a whole lot of trouble for those teams. Uh, we've got tw- only twenty five percent of uh, tipsters uh, backing Collingwood against Richmond, twenty five percent of tipsters backing Adelaide against Sydney, and a very small amount of tipsters, thirteen percent backing the D's to beat. Gee, not much faith in no Melbourne. Faith. Everyone's jumped off. Well, so, speaking of faith, the Pandas are putting their faith in, in the Lions. I mean, 60% backing Brizzy over North at Marvel Stadiums are, are pretty damn. Well, it's pretty damning for North, but I think everyone's pretty happy with the Brizzy bandwagon at this point. Well, I'm I'm on board. It's only round one, but well, I might throw this back to you now, Neil. We've done last week. We did our certainties and outsiders, and we got a little bit of time before we have to go. So why don't you give us your certainty for the week and your outsider for the week as well? There's going to be three unhappy faces in this room uh, when I, for the second week in a row, uh, put my certainty up as someone playing Carlton. Uh, no, you so can't I, do this every week. <laughs> I this could is, go, this is I like could go twenty. I could get every single week right. Shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> He's really sticking his neck out, isn't he? <laughs> I think I think Port will just be far too strong for Carlton at home. Even though Carlton looked pretty good on on uh, in their first ra- first round match. I've just given you a serve, but I've also got Port over Carlton. So, <laughs> Jake, have you got a certainty for us? Yeah, I do. I, I think Essendon will bounce back. Uh, don't know if it's a big well, call. I think it's. I don't want to be saying Carlton's going to lose every week. It, that hurts me too much, but. Yeah, I think they'll bounce back. They were horrific. They were really, really bad, and I can't see them being that bad. And St Kilda, you know, they they scraped over the line against Gold Coast, who many people expect them not to win a game all year. So I don't think St Kilda is actually that great. 
Christian, yep. would you uh, like to weigh in? Yeah, I'm with Jake. I think Essendon are probably my certainty. The the criticism they're going to they've already started copying this week, and are probably going to continue for the next couple of days with them. I really think that's going to sort of spur them on. And again, I just I don't think St Kilda are uh, good enough to match it with Essendon on their best day. And I alluded to this. I alluded to this before, rather. But uh, Jake and I both tipped the Lions to beat West Coast. I think that's West Coast. the fourth yeah. time it got mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> just in case anyone was wondering, we both tipped the Lions to beat West Coast. Uh, do you have an outsider this week, Nostradamus? Yeah, um, I'm going to go with the Giants this week. I think the Giants, and again, I'll go for another win over West Coast. I think In the, Perth as well. In Perth, they were probably the most impressive side GWS, I yep, think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I think they can beat West Coast over there. And, Chris- and at, at, at almost 3-1 to one to win, I think that's that's very good Which value. would also make West Coast 0-2 and two as well. Which would be incredible to think mm. all those teams that could be 0-2. and two. But yeah, I, I think they're a big chance. Christian? Uh, I'll try to uh, nail my second Friday night in a row for the second week. I'll go on Adelaide against Sydney up there. Um, again, yeah, just not impressed with Sydney and their game style. I know they're playing at home, but yeah, I think Adelaide should just uh, be a bit too strong. Kind of surprised that they're even the outsider in that game. Yeah, I was too. I, I'm, you know, early in the week, maybe everyone's sort of just betting on you know sort of the home ground advantage yeah. at the moment. But yeah, Neil. Uh, I'm riding Jake's coattails. I've, I've picked the uh, the Giants to beat He's the learning. Eagles. <laughs> yeah, I thought they looked super impressive, and uh, the Eagles are only just just going at the moment. So, uh, mm. even though it's in Perth, the Giants for me. Well, unbelievably, the Lions are underdogs as well against North Melbourne at Marble Stadium. So, I'm going to go with them two weeks in a row as well. All right, uh, I think it's time to wrap it up. We might be running a little bit over time, but thank lots you very much. Lots to discuss. <laughs> lots to discuss. It's good to have the AFL back, and no doubt there'll be plenty of talking points moving forward as well. Thank you very much for joining us uh, after round one. This has been the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.